You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm talking to Tim Key, who is an absolute fringe pioneer and uh, is an incredibly talented comic and writer and is probably responsible for some of the most startling theatrical comedy moments uh, of the last few fringes I've been to. Um, Really just has an absolutely breathtaking vision for what comedy can be. Um, So here's Tim Key, and listen out for a big announcement coming up in the middle section of the show. I'll speak to you then. Here's Tim Key. So we were discussing the nerve centre. Just good, I mean, could you just describe what we're looking at here uh, for the listener? Okay, well, um, so what we've got is, I guess this is my, um, oh, um, this is the nerve centre. I guess it's a... It was a bedroom, but it's quite small, but it's now a study. Yes, I'm and it's a, I'm, I'm sitting on a rich red leather sofa. <sighs> Ox blood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's an ox blood sofa, mate. Actually less comfortable than I thought it would be, because I put it online. Um, the, the cushions will... Feel free to sometimes readjust yourself. I will, they quite... slide you forward. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> will they? I was thinking yeah. the noise... You keep sliding you. forward and it keeps making it look like you're interested in what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> um, and then we've got... You've got some of that paint that uh, that you can chalk on. Yeah, I heard about the paint and um, painted... I suppose what I've got there is on that wall. I suppose that's sort of a hero wall. It's got a... Um, yes. It's got two pillars of black, one of which has got my... Um, my f- uh, 5k times from 2013 on okay and the other of which has got uh, uh, <clears throat> ideas for writing a column but actually I haven't touched that for maybe about 18 months and the only reason that I did now is because you told me to close the door yeah <laughs> I see it's behind the door isn't it <laughs> I've had that <laughs> that door's been open for a while now oh shit I've not done a yeah. 5k in ages that's why I'm like yeah it suddenly hammers home the fact that I'm fat <laughs> oh, it's because that door was that door was open. That's incredible. Yeah, because that's it. Two thousand and thirteen, fifteenth of June, twenty second of June, 29th of June. That's that was every week I did it. In, yeah, in June two thousand and thirteen, and now it's. <clears throat> well, I mean, 
That's the elephant in the room, really. It's March 2015, <laughs> and I can't do 5Ks anymore. Oh, well, you know, you never know. We might move another item of furniture and discover yeah. more positive yeah, things. That's yeah. true. Yeah, but you've might. got you've got the uh, you've got the the lists of things. You've got a poem written. Oh, yeah, I've got a above poem. the keyboard. <laughs> yeah, I just like people to be, imagine this. Yeah, and over the top of the uh, the wall there are the and this is this is one of the things I love seeing uh, in. Uh, Stand-up comments. I, I suppose some have them and some don't. Some people have them, some people don't. Just posters mm. from previous shows, which is lovely. I've, I have them. Yeah, you've got them. A couple of reasons for that. Um, happy memories. <laughs> <laughs> shows. Very happy. And secondly... Very well really designed like posters. The posters yeah. They're great posters. That's the thing. And yeah. then there are post-it notes of various colours all over the walls, all mm-hmm. over most of the walls. And behind me, a huge cork board with... Uh, and I should say, we've never done this before. This is how I imagine. When I started doing this podcast, yeah. as I say, nearly three years ago, or maybe more than three years ago, I kind of imagined that, that it would be like most this. comics would be like this. Absolutely yeah. no one is. You finally is. found one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> at last. So there's a court board full of... And obviously these are playing cards that you use in the show. They're pornographic playing cards. Let's not be around the bush. On the, uh, on the faces of which are cut-out printed bits of... Uh, yeah, well, it depends on how you mean by faces. I mean, I think... I would probably say backs. The backs are surely the bit that's all the same in the deck of cards. Which is what these are on. Oh, is that right? Oh, because yeah. the faces are pornographic and you want the audience to yeah. see the pornographic bit. Little treat, isn't it? It's not that I, <laughs> it's not that I don't have faith in my material. <laughs> sometimes if it's falling a bit flat, you can at least sort of wriggle, wriggle your cards around it. A nudie lady at people, yeah, lovely. <laughs> and is this, so is this an existing show or is this a show that you're making? Uh, what you are we looking what? at? I was, no, I just started to... The cogs have just started to whir again, literally today, I think. As in, uh, last night I did a new material night, and <clears throat> I hadn't done that for... Well, I've been, I did my show, my last show, and I finished that in about... finished my tour in about October, November. Then I, I was doing something else, and so I hadn't um, done new... started my new thing since then. So actually... Coming into this room is sort of it is a little bit like that, um, like the Marie Celeste, as in it's all sort of it's it's the it's the creative hub of um, something somewhere in 2013, I think. Gotcha. Okay. So so what what's up there is there's a show all about India on the left. Yes. And then on the right, where it starts getting, where you really get the impression that that is someone who's running out of ideas and so using a lot of stationery. <laughs> there, are, uh, there are sort of uh, vertical lines of string dividing mm. space on a massive corkboard. There are. I, there, there literally are. So I, I got, yeah, I've, I, I guess I'm the sort of comedian who sort of goes and buys string and then sort of takes it from there. So I've got, I've, I've, set, I've separated half the corkboard. And you've, you've got to remember this big corkboard. This, cork this is huge. It's, uh, I this, mean, it's... Is, this cost me about, um, you know, the best part of... Seventy pounds. <laughs> I mean, it's a really, it's an impressive piece. But it was, it was very, it's genuinely useful. And um, it's about, I guess it's about six by four, is it? Something like that, five by three. It's pretty big. Anyway, that set, that half there is my last. Um, I suppose you'd call it Edinburgh show. Yes. Um, single white slut, and uh, so each of those sections is um, a third of the show. Gotcha. And each okay. of the big cards is a poem 
or a um, some kind of uh, anecdote I was regaling yes. on stage, and then each of the tiny ones just has phrases like "sleep naked," yes, and "girl in," and "alba." And I think that was what was happening was when I was coming back after doing a work in progress, I would uh, you know write down any new things and then put that onto a tiny card and then put that onto this board. So should I deduce from this that the moment in this show or the previous show, maybe in Master Slut, when you put on the projector, you deconstructed a poem and showed all the different versions of oh, yeah. all the different drafts. Yeah. Now, obviously I'm watching that <coughs> thinking, how many of these are real and how many of this how many of these are a joke mm. about the fact that Here's you know here's something simple that tumbled out, and yeah. now here's a you know an enormous like there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of like flickering on the screen versions of different drafts of the poem. Yeah, yeah. I, I had previously assumed that was a joke, and now I look at something as methodical as this, and I go, God, maybe he does a thousand drafts of each one. No, this has got nothing to do with drafting. This has got everything to do with uh, ordering, and because that's the hardest thing about about a show, I think, is well for me. Like I, I write a lot of poems, and so that's all fine. That's sort of taken care of. That's probably something where um, the way I've ended up with my sort of thing I do, that's one of my great bits of luck that that I now have these poems, which are not really, to be fair to them, rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I would say. I would say maximum each one is a first draft. Some it's, it's clearly not even a draft yet, but you read it out and see what happens. But no, in terms of like... Uh, but there is a lot of, you know, real, anal... There's a lot of work. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's probably the same with most comedians. There's sort of um, a fine line between actual work and setting aside time, which... I'm very good at setting aside time, but then very good at wasting that time. Yes. So, but I, I do feel like, I don't know, the harder you sort of, the harder I sort of tr- strain myself to try and make something work, the more likely it is to work. But I don't think those two things have got any correlation. It's not because I think of how it's going to work. It's because I think that there's some kind of... um you know, higher being sort of thinking, well, fair play, he's trying his hardest to sort of <laughs> throw him a bit of luck yeah, okay. later on down down the road. Okay. So <clears throat> by the end of a show, by the end of putting a show together, it feels like it sort of has a beginning, middle and an end, but it's not because I've spent hours and hours and hours working that out, exactly that structure. That sort of comes by obviously doing it again and again in, you know, work in progress and mm. previewing it and working out that some bits don't work and... And then something comes to you that kind of you think, oh yeah, that's that's going to fit in, but you know, still means you. I, I don't think I still think you have to sort of do something at four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that when you work? Is that the... well, what a daytime? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, well, four in the afternoon. I was talking to I was gigging uh, with Michael Fabry last night right, in Belfast right. with the Belfast Empire. And I, we were just talking about the different times of day that we... Because I'm like this even when I'm not recording people. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, like, I have to make myself work first thing in the morning. I have to get up and write. It's otherwise, I don't, I don't do it. <coughs> yeah, so yeah. And, but you're like an afternoon... It can happen at any time. <laughs> it's, a, it's sort of desperation, isn't it? I, yeah. I often like, you know, I'll have a whole day, but 
the thing about having a whole day is it's a mixed blessing because you can look at it and you think, well, in that case, we can sort of um, gradually ease into this. Okay. And so it gets to about 11 and you sort of think, well, it's fine though because I've got the whole day. So you can then find yourself sort of having lunch and thinking, well, this is going to be a pretty spicy afternoon for my show now. And then it'll get to three and, and at that point you think... Right. Then you start looking backwards and think, right, that's about seven hours I've wasted. <laughs> so I need to very quickly write a poem about a man who falls in love with his bicycle or something. Otherwise, this won't have been a good day. So, yeah, I would say in the afternoon, there's is more sort of panic stations. And it's, do you find it easier to write when you've got a new material gig that night? Or is it out of a sense of not wanting to have wasted that day? Uh, like I find it like if I've got if I've got a gig, then I can go. Oh God, it's it's a different kind of writing for me because I go. This has to work tonight. Yeah, rather well, I than actually find way. the older I get, the 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 more surprisingly close the deadline can can come, and you just think like there were, I, I think before a deadline would be approaching it, and exactly that you'd get the fear, and I kind of feel like sometimes that happens, and other times it. would be remarkable to the point where I'd be thinking, well, you're on in an hour, so you need to sort of work that out. And then think, yeah, but I can sort of do it when I get there to an extent. And then sometimes you can sort of go on and just think, oh, I don't think there was ever a bit where I worked out that I had to, I had to get this thing done. And particularly on stage, it's a bit different because if it's a new material thing, you know, who's to say whether it's better to be more prepared or less prepared? When it's, my, when it's your show and you're all done, then somehow you have put a lot of hours into your show mm. and you have done it on stage a lot and you have it has all sort of come together. But I don't know, like I did a new material night last night and I, myself I was trying to work out whether, what the best method was, whether it was best to know exactly what I was going to do or whether it was best just to have ten new poems and read them out and to see what happened. Yeah. Which is, I think, that's how I used to do it when I first started doing it. That's why I really like starting a new, starting again is quite is a nice thing. It's quite liberating because when I first started, when anyone first starts, you don't have anything, and so you kind of you've got less stuff to choose from, and that can be quite that can be quite a, a freeing thing. Okay. Because after a while, I, I like I've got I've got two thousand poems like floating around, and so to to suddenly have a rule imposed where you're not going to do any you've done before, that's quite good, I think. It's quite, and it also gives you it gives you a bit of nerves because you're sort of going, well, obviously the the main problem with that approach is that this might all be absolute feces, but <laughs> but, yeah, but it probably probably it'll be fine because it's you know it's your stuff, and then the ones that aren't going so well, that's okay. You can sort of discuss that with the audience. I was really interested to see. Oh, oh God! There's loads of loads of different directions we can go with this. Um, I was really interested to see. I was doing some research, and I saw a video on YouTube from 2005 of you reading some poems to someone that may or may not have been Alex Horn. I was yeah, trying I to work it may, out. It, yeah, very well have been Alex. Horn. <laughs> yeah, okay, to Alex Horn. Yeah, and um, and it was really because I. <laughs> I'll be totally honest about this. I was watching loads of your stuff. And I was reading about and remembering about, you know, reading reviews and being reminded of stuff. And I'm such a huge, huge fan of your work. And like I was saying, you know, bits of your work have kind of filtered into 
mine and my friends and my partner's kind of conversations. Well, quite right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I was, I suppose, at, just at that point of going, oh, God, I think... And I, I, oft, I often get like this with certain of my guests during the research things. It's just my approach to comedy. I just want all of it. Anytime I see a thing, I go, God, I wish I was doing that. It's pathetic. Um, but I was just reaching the kind of the peak of, oh, God, I think Tim Key is the person I'm most jealous of in the whole world. And then I saw the video of you in 2005 doing poems that didn't particularly make me laugh. Oh, yeah. And I went, oh, yes, because he, he wasn't born Tim Key the poet with all of this material and ability and experience. No, I was born, well, terrible, useless, tiny. <laughs> it took ages to deteriorate to this. Yeah, those ones were done in... Uh, th- that was a very strange thing was happening there. That was in Alex Horn's garden. And I think what had happened is I'd said to my friend that I'd record the audio of some poems. Then he would animate a... Um, he'd build a, a head. OK. I don't understand. I never <laughs> understood. I had a lot of meetings. He'd build a head and he'd then make um, an app... I mean, this is 10 years ago. This is 10 years ago. That's early app <laughs> chat, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but he's quite early app chat chat type person. Um, and so he, he said, yeah, can you just record some and then I'll, I'll do my bit, as in learn how to build a head and learn how to do all that. So I just went into... Um, Alex is like, a bit like you, you know, he has like these things and like he can, he can record things. Yeah. He's like a proper um, person... Yeah. skills to do these things yeah the, all of this gear was uh, was given to me like if someone said buy yeah. exactly this this and this and this yeah totally and but I think Alex is far more natural at kind of but the point is both of you can sort of use phrases like um, give me a minute I'll set up <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> yeah that's, that's true yeah. I, I really relish saying that because it's a very recent <laughs> yeah. thing yeah yeah this little thing that I'm kind of my backup recorder I'm using here um, that that's the one that I did. You know, I did about seventy five episodes. Of oh that, right. So me setting up was just pressing that button. Oh wow, this, that's, a, that's good. Isn't I'm it? really relishing these days. Going, Tim, I'll just set up. Yeah, I love fiddling it. with cables. Tell me what you had for breakfast. Oh love totally. Well, I bit. definitely sensed that you were sort of <laughs> slowing down, so that when I came into the room, you were still setting up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I I went into Alex when I had to record these poems. I could, couldn't set up, so I had to go to Alex Horn. Alex Horn's Garden, and uh, yeah, just read out about twenty poems. And you know, I've seen that. I've seen that since. I think it starts with me starting to read, and then sort of going, "Come, can you come back?" Because <laughs> he was going to just leave me to it. I think, and I was just yes, gonna, okay, oh yeah, I see, okay. <clears throat> I was going to read them out, and then I thought I can't do that. And then he came back, and then it was sort of. I think it was a it was a better method of doing it, reading like that. But still, it had its downsides. As in, I'd finish a poem, and exactly as you've said. Not they weren't that necessarily that funny, but I'd finish one and uh, Alex would say, "Right, is that it?" And I go, "Yep, yes. <laughs> that's, it. that's it." Something that's so delicious about watching your work now is the fractured nature of the poems. The fact that they're that they are kind of like jazz. You know, they kind of that, that suddenly stops. <coughs> oh, it's over. We know it's over because we're laughing. But presumably, in the creative process there are moments where they don't get laughs. Yeah. And do you find yourself thinking, is this poem over? Is it, oh, is yeah. it finished? Is it good? Yeah, Will a, it be good? There's quite a few that have, that have got... that have, um, There's none, I don't think, that lengthen in performance. Oh, well, there's a few little... I'll, I'll add a few words in sometimes, because I do genuinely read them. 
So there's sometimes bits where I'll just throw a word in, maybe. But there's definitely poems where they find their length and they, they're, they're cut mm. during performance. Like, you know, like a six-line poem can sometimes... There's one I used to do where it says... I, I know how it starts. It goes, Tanya Googled herself. Still nothing. And then that always used to get a laugh because... Yeah. Um, it tells the whole story. Yeah, it's all done. Yeah. It's all done, and I think after that, I can't remember what she does, but I, th- I seem to remember she has some cereal or something, and and she's I think she's at a desk, and then I think she clicks refresh, and it's, it's still not happening, and uh, yeah, that was the poem I wrote. Yeah, and yet the first time I did it, it was clear to me that that was that done, and then that became a kind of yeah, that you know got found its place into my Edinburgh show and mm. stuff, and became one that I would. Uh, lean very heavily on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's perfect, really, because it's so small. It's like a one-liner. It's like a rescue one-liner. Totally. It yeah. Is. yeah, there are some that are like that. And, um, yeah, I'm sure it's the same with people who, who write um, who write jokes and things. Or, you know, the, there are times where you write one and you just sort of think, yeah, that's... that. Like you say, it's, uh, the whole story is told very economically. Mm. And so, yeah, there are a few like that. There's There's somewhere... I'll do the first line, and even if it's like last night when I was doing them, somewhere I just do the first line and, and then throw it down. But it can be for a variety of reasons. It can be that I completely have lost faith in the idea of someone licking his crash helmet being funny. There's somewhere <laughs> people enjoy the name of the person and we all enjoy it for a bit and then it goes. There's obviously somewhere I sort of read ahead and think, that's not going to get any better. Not that, not that it's hit a height, okay. but just more, that's not getting any better. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and do you and do you have the option to, I suppose it depends on the gig, but do you have the option to switch the the order around? As, I mean, are you looking oh, at yeah, genuinely making decisions going, that won't work here, drop it? Oh, won't. yeah, I can. I have options. So I'm, not, I'm not sort of unionised. I can do what I want. <laughs> still, still very much down to me. Um, no, I, I, yeah, I can... If it's, it's again, it's like a difference between a show and a, a, a new material um, situation. In a show, I, I'm really quite disciplined, I think, in a show where um, tons of room to sort of play around and things, but uh, it's always the same order, partly because I kind of feel that um, I don't want to sort of chop and change too much because though I might write while I'm doing the show, I don't want to put something in and then it be a show that gradually turns into my next show. I want it to be yes. a show that then stops and has a final night. Okay. And then a new one that starts. Okay. Um, but in my last show, I had a bit where um, I'd get someone up on stage and we'd go through some new stuff. <laughs> and that was quite... I mean, it was, it was a slightly strange show to develop because it, it happened in a, in a sort of weird way compared to the other ones. And so I had this bit in Edinburgh, because it was um, advertised as a work in progress in Edinburgh, because mm-hmm. it was a work in progress. So I wanted it to... I wanted to be... have that freedom to mm-hmm. make it a bit different every night. But that stayed in once it... You know, when I was on tour, that I'd just have someone up on my bed and we'd just be going through these poems and reading them to one another. And uh, that's quite a fun thing to have, because it... Obviously, anything that keeps your show interesting for you is quite good. Yes. Um, but usually I do have that sort of... Um, there's a split between the two things. A show is a show. Okay. And then new material. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, there. I had all of them in my hand. And 
but then again, you know, there's an there's a sense, there's a, a certain amount of good sense in if you've got forty poems on the way to a gig, you may as well, if you're not doing anything else on the bus, choose which ones you think are your favourite twelve. Mm-hmm. Then, mm-hmm. and then that might change when you're just about to go on. You just think, well, that that one's much better than that one, or you just think, well, why am I reading that? So that that can happen. But yeah, by and large, you you want to know that you're taking your favourite ones. So this is Tim. I hope you're enjoying this. Uh, I mentioned there's a, a big announcement coming up. A tiny bit of admin first. Uh, a couple of gigs, which uh, it, it's preview week for me next week. I um, ran about this time last year. I was at the New Zealand Comedy Festival, give or take a month, and really enjoyed the opportunity to be working on a preview show every night and then going away and writing it, rewriting all day. Um, and I've tried to recreate this in the UK. So next week on the 17th, I've got a preview at Top Secret Comedy Club in Drury Lane. Uh, that's the thetopsecretcomedyclub.co.uk. On the 18th, I'm at Backyard Comedy Club in Bethnal Green with Joe Lysett and Julian Dean, who, I mean, that's a that's a storming lineup. What what a bunch of nice, funny people that is. Um, and on the 19th, myself and Joe Lysett are doing another double-header preview at The Pleasance in Islington. So do come along to one of those if you like. Um, the top secret one is cheap. The backyard one is free. We'll do a donation collection at the end and The Pleasance will cost you a few pounds, but it's it'll be worth it. It's a very lovely theatre. Uh, I'm doing the live uh, podcast and a solo preview at a couple of festivals coming up end of April. I'm in uh, Tallinn in Estonia for the Estonian Comedy Festival. Um, so if you're listening in Estonia, do come along to that. Um, and at the beginning of May, I'm doing the same, uh, a solo preview and a live podcast with one guest uh, at the Secret Welsh Festival we don't talk about. So if you know what that is, have a look for details on that. Book your tickets now and uh, and I'll see you there. Now, over the last few shows, I've occasionally tantalisingly mentioned uh, updates and big news on the way. And uh, on the way, and here is some of it. Uh, I am very, very pleased and proud to announce that I have a run at the Soho Theatre of live podcasts. The comedian's comedian is coming to the Soho Theatre um, for four months. The first, not four months in a row. Let's let's take it easy, baby steps. Um, it's the first Tuesday of the month, so that's the seventh of April the 5th of May, the 2nd of June, and the 7th of July. Tickets are on sale now from SohoTheatre.com, and all those shows are at 9.30pm. So if you fancy one of those, and obviously everyone, I announced this yesterday on Twitter on the Facebook group, but um, obviously everyone's going, who are the guests, who are the guests? As soon as I know who the guests are, you will know who the guests are. There's a number of very exciting, like very exciting conversations going on at the moment, but I certainly will not. I'm not going to tell you who it is until they're absolutely confirmed. Um, rest assured, those will all be loads of fun. We're going to do a ticket deal for ComCom uh, listeners, um, so listen out for that. Uh, or if you want to jump in there first, they're not expensive anyway. Go to SohoTheatre.com, and we're under T for the Comedian's Comedian podcast with Stuart Goldsmith. So um, do look out for those and tell everybody about those. Very, very excited um, and very keen to make those uh, a big success. My first dip into uh, uh, into a relationship with the Soho Theatre, which is just, I mean, a lot of these You'll have heard me say on previous episodes, a lot of these guests, I've seen their work at Soho or I've advertised them at Soho. In fact, coming up on, I think, the 20th and 21st of March, I'm, sh- I'm sure it is, that's in just in a couple of weeks, you must not miss Joel Domit's show, Finding Nemo, which is a show about how he used to be a goth and he's tried to put his old goth band back together while suffering a midlife crisis as an adult. It contains my favourite joke of the whole of Last Fringe, and that is worth the entrance fee alone, so don't miss that. That's at the Soho. A perfectly good example there. They're not giving me any money, incidentally. It's just that they are the 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 powerhouse of uh, theatre of, of of comic theatre and comedy 
in the UK, in, in London, they are the people that bring over international acts, I think, with more regularity than anyone else. There's some brilliant venues in London, um, but the Soho have a very special relationship with comedy, and I'm very excited to be part of that. Um, thank you for your donations, of course. Thank you to David Hall, who came up to me at my preview at the Phoenix Fringe and pressed a uh, uh, an, an amount, let's call it an amount, a generous amount of cash into my hand. You can do that if you don't want to pay the, uh, the PayPal charges. I mean, you don't pay them, I pay them from your donations. But if you don't want me to pay the PayPal charges, you can just come up to me, find me at a gig, pounce on me as David did, and thrust uh, some notes into my hand. I'll be very, very grateful. But if you'd rather pay online or if you're somewhere inconvenient uh, or somewhere that, that you would find inconvenient to come and do that um, you can of course click on the extremely visible do you know i looked for it again recently it does take a while to find i've done a 180 on this um the donate button is on the right hand sort of top right corner of the screen at comedianscomedian.com and down a bit so uh thanks to david hall and thank you and a big shout out to alex kendall finally before we get back to tim uh, he is a recovery driver and he collected brilliant comedian and my dear friend george egg uh, when george's van broke down in brighton and then george got in like george was texting me from the van going oh god what a disaster having to get recovered i i used to have a vw van as well i've uh, i've i've sidestepped to a mazda bongo and the, the fucker drives <laughs> so i'm very excited about that um but uh george is one of those people who bakes his own bread and brews his own beer and makes incredible, incredible comedy props for his brilliant visual stage show, um, which he's also taking for the first time at the Edinburgh Festival this year. Anarchist cook, don't miss that. Um, But uh, George got into Alex Kendall's recovery van and uh, I was the last person he texted about his his woes about getting recovered. And then Alex Alex Kendall apparently said, do you mind if I uh, uh, put something on the radio? And he put on this podcast. So uh, thank you so much. A lovely weird moment for George there. And a big shout out to Alex. Thank you very much for helping him out. And lots of love to van recovery drivers everywhere. That's all for now. A little bit more, a little advert, some special treat freebies available for you. Um, or discounts, I should say, uh, in the final blurb. Let's get back to Tim Key. I just want to sort of press pause on the on the poems and on the writing process for the moment because I've got loads more to ask about it. But I also feel like uh, I I want to go back and see how you started because I oh, remember yeah. running into you at gigs years ago when you were doing you were just starting doing lager in a suit right you know and spilling lager on yourself and things yeah, yeah. like that and I know as well that you before that you were in Cowards which I never saw live but I've seen online so there's loads of stuff to talk about on the way yeah. and then we need answers sure. rolling forward and falling off a chair and things like this before all of that you have something I'm fond of talking about in the show is people's origin stories and I know you've told this story a lot before, I've heard yeah. it in a lot of different contexts, but you have one of the most uh, ridiculous origin stories, the whole pretending to be at Cambridge yeah. to get into Footlights. Yeah. Now, I know you've told that a lot. Oh, yeah. And I don't want you to read oh, no, grounds you've done, but if you, could, if you could just explain what happened in two sentences, then I've got questions about why oh, sure. it happened. Well, I think what happened is... <clears throat> oh, yeah. Okay, so I think what happened was I um, finished my degree... And went home to live in, I guess quite fortunately, a village near Cambridge. Mm -hmm. And then I was working out what to do next. And I decided I would... I decided I wanted to do a bit of acting or something. I quite like the idea of doing that. This isn't two sentences. And then I auditioned for... I decided it would be a bit, you know... It didn't really appeal to do amateur dramatics because I felt like... 
Um, well, I basically thought if I could get into the student side of things, that's more interesting because everyone's young, everyone's the same as what I've just finished at, at mm-hmm. Sheffield University. So I thought maybe there's a, a version of that. So I auditioned for something called Bouncers by John Gobba and I auditioned for the pantomime, Cambridge Footlights pantomime. And um, as part of that, I think in both cases I had to pretend that I was a student. So I auditioned for the auditioned for, auditioned for the pantomime Written by Alex Horn, amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, giving you your, I had to write down my email address. And there was a A4 sheets of email addresses, lots of them. And on the front sheet, there was 12 or 15 already down, all of them with the same format. I think they had, they all ended dot cam or dot ac <laughs> dot cam or something. <laughs> so I put mine in, timkey5 at hotmail.com. It's not my email anymore. <laughs> and uh, they said, oh, right, OK. Is, have you not got a college one? And I said, no, that's their... Um, my college one hasn't come through, which I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard someone say something like that once. Yeah. You get things coming through, don't you? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so my college one hadn't come through. Then I auditioned, and then, yeah, I got into... I got into the pantomime and that was my sort of, um, I guess, my foot in the door. Given that what you're effectively... Like, given the the reputation of Cambridge Footlights as being a way into comedy and the legacy, the dynasty, if you like, of all that, of that organisation, it seems to me incredibly fortuitous that you wandered into it. Oh, yeah. And it, it kind of makes me think, <clears throat> like, whenever I've heard the story before, I've thought, clever bastard. Not really. Was you, were you really that blind? No, there's a two thing. there's a few things about it which are, it, it wasn't that calculated, it wasn't at all calculated because um, I didn't, I didn't have any idea that I wanted to be a comedian. I, obviously, I was still in that, that mindset of thinking that, you know, when someone says, what do you want to do when you're older? When you're little, you say, a footballer, or, you know, whatever, racing car driver. And then and then after that, you get into, I don't know, like you're sort of brainwashed into thinking that those things, are not, there's things that's impossible and there's things that's possible. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was 22, 23, and just totally thinking, I don't know, journalism, uh, law conversion was my mum's catchphrase at the time. There's all sorts of things like that which are... Which are jobs which are which you can get, and so when I auditioned, I wasn't thinking in any way that it was. I didn't even think it was to do with comedy. I just thought it was to do with wanting to be on stage and be in a play one more time, and then start my career. That was what I was doing. Okay, but <clears throat> but right after getting into it, I then um, I got into this pantomime, and I really like. I really liked it. It was really fun. Really. Uh, dynamic, um, interesting, nice people. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And I guess even though I'd done loads of like plays and things at university, it was it just felt a little bit different. And from there, I auditioned for a sketch show, which um, I kind of then did a bit of writing. Mm-hmm. And from there, this all happened in about four months there was the Footlights Tour Show. And that's what you're talking about. Okay. The Footlights Tour Show, that's the one that goes to Edinburgh, and that's the one where I guess you you trace it back each year and each time there's five or six comedians. But, I mean, I kind of very across it now, and I think I vaguely knew... I I mean, I I knew Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. I loved their stuff, but Mm. I hadn't made the link that I definitely hadn't made a link that I was trying to join their thing. I see, okay. When I did the pantomime. Yes. Once this this other thing happened, where there was auditions for this proper thing that goes up to Edinburgh, and I was 24 at the time, I had no prospects in other areas, and I had time, and I was living in Cambridge. Then it suddenly felt like, Oh, hang on a minute. I I think I'm quite close to doing to with one more sort of um, good audition and getting into this thing. I think I then have quite a good six months ahead of me where it might be really an interesting thing to do. And I didn't know what had happened after that, but that that point I was thinking, yeah, this is. I wasn't really thinking, you know, of the whole, you know, standing yes. on the shoulders of shoulders of giants. Okay. Thing. okay. But at that point, I was thinking, yeah, this looks like a really interesting thing to do because you. A quality that you have at the moment that is, I think, that really kind of comes out through all of your work is you are kind of impish. You're impish within a kind of a, a sort of a, a deliberate sort of fast, not fusty exactly, but do you <coughs> know what I mean? You're like, you're, you're, when I see you on stage, you're often wearing a, and I've got that sort of early memory of you, wearing a suit with a can of lager and your arm in a sling. Sure. And you're sort of schlubby, mm. which is a word I've stolen from Mark Kermode that I don't entirely know what it means. Right, yeah. <laughs> but you're twinkly and impish within that. Yeah. So were you, like, how much does that, it does, it reflects your actual personality because I know you socially a little bit. Yeah. And, and you're, you're impish. Oh, well, so were you, <laughs> you? You just fell. So were you at the time? Because the way you're describing it now, and we're sort of talking in very serious terms, yeah, like yeah. as a result of being in the nerve centre. Oh, totally, yeah. Um, but we're. Oh no, it was entirely an impish thing. It was. In, so you, know, you weren't like because you weren't just stumbling in, going, "Well, I've got no prospects." No, no. Doing, you were thinking, "Hang on, I could blag this, and it might be quite fun." Yeah, I also was quite aware at the time that it was quite a fun thing that was happening. Okay, you know, and so and obviously I had that thing which. I had, because I lived in Cambridge, I wasn't studying there. So there was a lot of funny things happening because I was living a double life. (laughs) I was temping at the time. So by day I'd be temping. I'd sometimes have to wriggle out of things. I'd sometimes... You'd have to invent lectures and stuff. Yeah, I'd sometimes... Yeah. I didn't have to do much lying. But um, I almost never lied because it was... you. You don't <laughs> Once really, you're in the high, yeah, because you don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to lie, you know. Yeah. 
you know, uh, it, no one would ever ever say, "Hang on a minute, are you not a student?" Any more than I would say, "Hang on a minute, have you actually got a podcast?" Yeah, yeah. this sort of. Um... I mean, that really does throw this into a very <laughs> interesting yeah. light. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, that was like it was. It was really there was a lot of um, there was a lot of um, impishness floating about. Okay, because it, you know it just it felt quite funny at times because I would be leaving my. Um, job as a threshold assessment regional deployment officer <laughs> and cycling through Cambridge, often quite fast, getting to the rehearsal okay. and sort of being late. And But again, no one would say, oh, well, if, did, you, did you have, was your lecture late? Also, I think I was playing the part of someone who was, um, I think I was a PhD student. So I think they have to, I think they maybe have to do Lectures a bit and stuff. I think. Okay, you were different. You, your 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 cover story was sufficiently different. Look, my cover story was that I was um, doing a PhD in um, astronomy. No, Nikolai Gogol. Okay, okay, was what it was. And one time, someone asked me about the government inspector um, because they'd just been cast in it, and I said, "I don't know. I'm. I'm. My focus is mainly his short stories." Such a good lie. Genuinely, did say that. I'm still friends with him. That's Sam. But yeah, that that was one of very few. There was another time where I had to. The um, the rehearsal room was in my college. I'd obviously had to assign myself a college in my backstory. I mean, my backstory was so thin. I think I just had a college. I had a name. I used used my my own name. Had a college. Had a bike. I was my own bike. I had. Other than that, I had a. Um, and a knowledge, a working knowledge of Nikolai Gogol, and kept quiet that I was a temp. Presumably, the <coughs> steps have been taken to ensure this can never happen again. <laughs> well, I hope not. I mean, it kind of felt. I mean, if if I'd if I'd announced it and and all of the other five had gone, yeah, me too. Yeah. That, that would have felt like I, that would have felt like we'd all really hose down the, the current <laughs> students. But I was always quite. I could always square it off in my mind that also they they often had five people doing it. And that year they had six, so I kind of always, I always took myself as being the sixth person. Yeah, okay. and that made me feel okay. less bad. Like the people that, the, the only people for me that uh, could have like a, could be disappointed would be someone who would be the sixth if it mm-hmm. wasn't me. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I'm not even necessarily sure that would have happened. I think that they they could easily have had five and stuff. So uh, no, I've definitely ruined someone's life. No, I, but I haven't. I kind of felt like. Um, I also feel like um, I didn't, you know, I didn't make it any worse. I wasn't like, I think there's probably bad imposters and good imposters. It was a fun <laughs> thing, you know, and we're all still friends, like the, the people who are in it. Um, I mean, presumably you or someone is trying to turn this into a film or has tried in the past. I think and I'm trying to I'm trying good to. Good imposters and bad imposters would seem like a workable title. <laughs> a good imposter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, so there was that there was a time where it was in my college, the rehearsal, and so someone else from the cast said that she didn't know where that place was, so she'd meet me at the Porter's Lodge and then we'd go there. So I was walking along with her very casually talking about you know, passing the time of day and walking confidently towards where I thought must be this sort of area. Oh, my and God. And we just got to a massive gate that was locked and then I just sort of got there and sort of went, right, oh, of course, no, it's this, we're back here, we're back here. 
just looking around. And it's like, I think it was before mobiles. I don't think I had a mobile. Or did I? I don't know. It's 2000. And 2000. Yeah. Well, I've just had one. But yeah. I, it was, yeah, situations like that were occurring. But no, mainly it was, um, I don't know. That, yeah. But the impishness thing was that I obviously was living at home. And so all of my friends from home were were my social life. So it was quite funny sort of reporting back and sort of going... So they were all in on it? I had an outlet, you know, it wasn't like... I see, <clears throat> I see, OK, yeah, that would make a difference, right. So it was quite funny, because I'd be saying, well, this is happening now, and, this, and now this has happened. Um, and it wasn't like for a long period, I think, um, started lying in about um, <laughs> September and finished lying in about... Well, it was when we, we finished the script... And yes. The, I remember hearing someone said to you, look, we found out what you're doing, yeah. but it's too late to recast you. Yeah. yeah. And he said, look, we, we want you to do it. Um, and then, yeah, we finished, we, we then rehearsed and worked out how the thing was going to be. And then um, we all were assembled at his flat and he, he said, Tim's got something he wants to say. And then I had to say it. It's quite. And how did they take it? They were. They, they must have loved it. Surely. They enjoyed it. Great. Mark Watson was one of the one of the people. Yes. And Mark sent me an email the next day um, comparing me to um, what's the guy called Gary Crosby, who is the chap who in the late eighties, uh, I think Andy Dibble had the ball. Who's a goalkeeper, mm-hmm. and he was holding the ball, and uh, Gary Crosby came around the back of him and headed it out of his hands. <laughs> And scored. <laughs> Impish. Impishly, yes, right. <laughs> Almost the definition of impishness. I, I'd like to talk about your relationships with Mark and with Alex, because they, they, that sort of, again, around the time I sort of first got to know you was, uh, I don't know, it's all a bit of an Edinburgh blur in many ways, but yeah. it's definitely with, with We Need Answers, and I know you're in Horn's Latin show. Yeah. Were you in that... Before or after you were in Cowards? Oh, before. <clears throat> I mean, Alex's first thing was... His first solo show was 2003. Mm-hmm. And again, just lack of lack of prospects, current prospects, meant that he, he did his show. Well, Alex was always a brilliant comedian, but he had... I think he'd probably been doing it for a few years, and he was going to do his first Edinburgh show. And I went and watched the first preview, and he had an assistant who was Al Doyle, who is weirdly in hot chip now. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, he literally, Al Doyle said, I I don't know whether I can do Edinburgh because my band are doing, starting to do quite well. Oh, my God, that's great. Yeah. Hot chip is particularly appropriate for a friend of Alex's. I feel it's really good, yeah. And um, so he went off to do his, you know, his pipe dream of this stupid little band. (laughs) And, uh, And so Alex then asked me if I would do that that role, okay, which is quite. Fu- it was a very enjoyable thing to do. It was basically Alex's solo show with a guy behind him on acetates with an o- overhead projector. Ah, so <laughs> early horn technology. Really, okay, a kind of but a perfect storm version of horn. Yes, really. I mean, it's very nice. I mean, horn went on to... I mean, I'm sure there's more to his career, but it's a master PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he really <laughs> did master it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Most A lot of shows of Alex's, there'd be a combination of people coming up to him and saying, I really love that, that was really funny, and other people saying, tell me that wasn't PowerPoint. 
Yeah. We're just pushing the boundaries of comedy. <laughs> and your your relationship to Alex in it on, on stage is your kind of a maverick element. Is that right? Well, um, that's the thing. With that show, it was really like that. That Alex was... I just was watching this stand-up show every night, which was great. It was a show about comedy, about, about laughter, mm-hmm. <clears throat> where Alex had found an old academic tome about what makes people laugh and went through the chapters, which is okay. kind of very, again, like a perfect storm in terms of uh, Alex's vibe mm-hmm. and a mm-hmm. bit of source material he great. could use. It's, yeah, it's perfect. So he would do that, and I just had like a hotel bell at my desk and a mic. And so, I mean, it was the most un, unbalanced double act you'll ever see. It was... It, so you'd literally just have an interrupting bell? Yeah, so I'd say it was a double act where uh, it was maybe 85%, 15% was what we were working on. And also in terms of just everything. It's not like in Penn and Teller where they at least stood next to each other. I was miles behind him. <laughs> so I'd just sit there and do my thing. But yeah, you're right. There was like an element of... I was at liberty to uh, do all the stuff that was in the show. But then if I spotted something that was, you know, potentially could take us somewhere mm-hmm. then I'd be able to do it <clears throat> and um yeah I guess that's at that point that happened quite a lot where I'd just be sort of behind Alex or behind Mark as well in Mark's 24-hour show yes similar thing where Mark would be you know freewheeling and you know absolutely ruling it and it's his show I, I'd say both of, in both examples I've just sort of been someone who's been there but in their show. Yeah, and does that give you... That must give you, must surely give you sort of an incredible amount of licence. Like, there's no pressure on you to be funny, but you can just seize every opportunity. Yeah. And leap well, in. But again, only if, only if it is going well. If, it, if, <laughs> yeah. if, if you've leapt in four or five times and it's fallen flat four or five sure. times, then you still sort of um, get quite a sweaty forehead... And started thinking, oh Christ, he didn't need me, so why am I here? Yes, okay. So you still you still feel like even if you are trying to justify being fifteen percent of the situation, you've still got to you still got to make the fifteen percent. Yes, but like with with Alex's show, you have the advantage of lots of stuff that he's written, so you're always in it. And with Mark's show, you have the advantage of his twenty four hours. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of totally okay. Cherry. You can have a quiet couple of hours. Yes. <laughs> so your and and your contribution, your kind of interruptive uh, uh, style in those in those shows, seems to make use of one of the things you're you're brilliant at, which is that you're really good. I think at getting things wrong. You've got a really good. Uh, or a, I don't know if it's a natural inclination towards it, or a, like for, for comic effect, or whether it's whether it's more cerebral. But I remember I remember going to shake your hand a couple of years ago, and you just shook my hand wrong and just ended up climbing on me. Oh dear! And I remember thinking, no, it was fantastic, but it really made me laugh. I was just in a sort of fun social way. But I remember thinking, oh, that's re-. There's something kind of clicked into place. I went, oh, that's what Tim's really good at. Is just like. I went to shake your hand and you sort of misunderstood on purpose and ended up clambering on me. Right, right. And, and I'm, I'm just wondering if there's a sort of a, a, a line to be drawn I think there. there's definitely a point to be made there. But I think you're making it much better than I could. <laughs> but, yeah, you're probably right. There is something... Yeah. 
That, well, I mean, I guess it's just playing the fool, isn't it? Well, it is, but it, but in like I think at the moment, like at the moment, everyone it seems is going to Golier, right? Everyone's right, yeah, going, you know, sure. this French. The, the as uh, I mean, it's, yeah, I keep saying it now, but I've got to credit it to Alfie Brown, calling it the the French Awards School. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, loads of more comics, and uh, I won't say their names. Perhaps they'd rather keep it secret. But interesting. Uh, Comics that I think of as cerebral, interesting comics. Yeah. A couple of them in the last month have both said, oh, I'm going to go and uh, do a little course at Golier. Wow. Now, I don't, you've never done anything like that or kind of clowning no. training or anything like that, but you right. do seem to have, a, what is it, a, a natural appreciation for the opportunities for things to go wrong, do you think? Maybe. And maybe that is, um, maybe that does help that doing all those, doing all those things with Alex and with Mark, we just get a lot of stage time and a lot of, um, like you say, a lot of license and and building stuff on nothing, I suppose. I don't know what they do in that school, but I would imagine maybe there's it's it's conceivable there might be a class called something along those lines where you just start with nothing and just I I, <coughs> I understand it. It's a lot to do with that. Yeah, right? totally. And so I kind of think that um in Mark's in Mark's stuff, when when me and Mark have worked together but you know we're working together to to make this stuff happen. But that's always the most fun thing, I think, when in in those shows that that he that he does, when something absolutely inconsequential happens, and it becomes something. We we did a thing where uh, years ago in one of his shows, where just out of the delirium there was a conversation. There was a. I, somehow we got into a bit where uh, I was guessing his pin, and it went on for about five minutes. And I think people had people took about a couple of minutes to tune in because I think they were just sort of there was just this sort of um, in that show it sort of drifts this way and that. I don't know. And somehow out of the ashes of of the, the previous bit of nonsense that had happened there was just this really important game going on, which was a bit like, um, what's the game where, is it Mastermind, where you have to oh, get the, the, pegs. the pegs. Yes. And it was, we played it like that. Ah, so if you've got one number <laughs> yeah. right, he'd tell you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it, and it went on for ages. And, uh, <laughs> and it, yeah, I guess that's it. It's like that sort of thing is, um, I don't think you'd necessarily... Um, write it, yes, and and bring it along. And I mean, it it took five ten minutes, but I think the idea of me and Mark pitching up to a comedy club and then bringing us on and us doing our pin bit, yes, wouldn't be appropriate. But yes, the fact okay. that it just was this thing where it hadn't. We never done it. We never we never talked about that. We never talked about it since. But yeah, in the moment, it was very funny and crucially. I think, though neither of us were laughing, both of us found the, the situation really enjoyable. Yes. And and really funny. So there is something about following... Like, are you trying to make him laugh? I think always it, that's another another factor in doing their shows is... It, I mean, obviously there's going to be some collateral that the audience will enjoy it, but otherwise you wouldn't be um, asked to do it. But, yeah, I think with both of them, it's, there's no... There's no sort of finer reflection on how well it's going than Alex laughing. When yes. I do the horn section as well, yes. uh, if I do the horn section, that's the idea, is to go on and just do something where the band have really enjoyed it. 
Yes, of course it is. And then, <clears throat> then everything else looks after itself. I'm not saying that I'm always good at that. You know, I'm like any uh, comedian where sometimes you feel really, um, you know, bulletproof and able to do these things. And other times you sort of think, well, forget about the band. I need to get out of here alive and just yes, do, yes. My, do my best stuff. And But, you know, that as a, as a basic rule of thumb, same with Mark's, Mark's show is the idea for me is to sort of say something where Mark is then laughing. And then that will mean that... Because pretty much that's a yes. pretty good divining rod, lightning rod for it to go go through, that if Mark is Mark thinks it's a, it's a funny thing, then it will have that kind of um, effect in the room. That yes. People will enjoy that. And is, is there an equivalent that you can articulate about... Or is, is there an equivalent... Is, can you pick up that idea and take it into a solo show? Is it just you trying to make the audience laugh? Well, or is no, there an equivalent whereby you're trying to... I mean, the dumbest one would be, like, are you trying to make the tech laugh? Oh, yeah, well, I used to. Definitely. Oh, with Fletch with and Fletch, Chucky yeah. as well, yeah. But, um, no, the the obvious point about me trying to make Mark laugh or trying to make Alex laugh is that, um, it, it, effectively, it's saying stuff that I would find funny. Yes. So I, I don't think it's ever healthy to second-guess, you know, an audience, but I suppose I'm not, I wouldn't really be second-guessing Mark or Alex in the same way as anyone down the pub who thinks of saying something in a social situation that is very funny. Yes, okay, They're not okay. thinking, this should work for Claire and Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they are. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. But if that, if you, it's that thing of just finding something funny and then yeah. feeling at liberty to say it. And I guess that was kind of, yeah, that was a very, I, I never really analysed it, but yeah, it's a nice thing to, to have, you know, at that point when you're just sort of still scratching around and, you know, there's no, I don't think, for me anyway, I tried doing stand-up and I found it very, very difficult to unlock anything. Like, it was very, it was, it was a tough thing to do. But this is before I did poetry or anything like that. So to have a, a bit, however long, like two or three years later, where I didn't really worry so much about unlocking anything, I was just kind of able to sort of be relatively relaxed on stage mm. it's a real kind of godsend I mean it's kind of the holy grail in a way to be on stage and feel at liberty to sort of yes. at liberty for things to come into your mind and you be able to say them yes. because you think they're funny it's kind of it's an amazing Which situation I've, to get I just realised actually there's, there's two parallels to be drawn there one is that you've got the cards and the poems so you can be you can be in opposition with, the, with have, the poems yeah, I used to do that much more like right at the start that was more or less it it was a relationship between me and the poems and you and treat them as you treat them almost as if someone else has written them you go totally. like, like that line we were saying before about Roy does such and such looks like we've underestimated Roy yeah totally you, absolutely and, and I think I think it kind of goes in waves because I've done like written those little poems now for years and so I think sometimes I play the opposite game of sometimes having giving them more reverence than they're due and there's probably some mileage in that direction as well. Yes. But so I, I, I totally agree. When I first started, I would be reading them and being disappointed in them. Mm-hmm. Not really disappointed in myself. And you're right, it's almost like someone had brought them, onto my, brought them to my desk that morning and I knew that at 8 o'clock I had to read them out. And I'm like, well, oh, God. 
I mean, this is not great, is it? Yes. And I've got to be on stage for how yes, long? Yes, yes. So you're of how many people? And this is what I've got. Yeah. And so I'd go on. You get to do a double act with your earlier self. Yeah. So, so yeah, they're quite, they're quite an interesting, they're an interesting device to have. I mean, they are obviously uh, at their heart a crutch. <laughs> do you think so? Um, well, because surely they're a they're a format which gives you the same license as you would have to interrupt and ding your bell at, at mm. horn. Yeah, totally. I mean, I at one point when it, when I'd been doing it a while, I kind of reflected that I think I did a show about three years ago where I kind of thought that's interesting. There's less poems in this one than in the last one. Okay, and I think they've been going that way for th- three shows in a row, and then I did sort of think maybe that's how it will be. Then I'll jettison them ultimately mm. and like stabilizers and you know sail off into the sunset with as a proper comedian who doesn't need poems and then i think it was while i was in the last one i just thought i don't ever really want to do that uh, i mean i'm open to the idea of, do, of doing a show with none of the men but i kind of like it and it definitely is useful in that sense that you can just talk and talk either you know, with an audience member or, you know, that's that's kind of improvised or some kind of anecdote or, you know, yes. bit of stuff that you've got. But then when it ends, you have that um, possibility of just going to your breast pocket and pulling out some... Yes, which means that you're always... <clears throat> safe isn't the word because you're always at risk, but you're always calm because you can follow an idea yeah. and if it dies... Let's get a poem out. Well, I used to do... I two... think that's what I'm jealous of when I say I'm like, ah, oh, I'm at peak wanting to be like Key. Yeah. I think it's, it's a specific... There's a video of you online of you at Knock Too Bag, yeah. which is really... I just watched it, watched that one recently. And that is it kind of... I think you're in the middle of that period of, you know, just like... Like you just play music and come on and say nothing yeah. for ages because you know you've got all those jokes in your pocket. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but it kind of... Yeah, it goes in waves and stuff. But I, I think... Um, they're, they're, they're a very practical thing, really. I did stuff where I tried to stand up, that didn't work, but I was kind of in, um, like, Starbucks in Soho with this sheet of my jokes, learning them. And, and I'm terrible at learning stuff, and I'd just be, like, covering them with a napkin. And then, and then I'd do it, and... You know, it's amazing that like you don't finish your five minutes and people come up to you and say, wow, how do you remember that stuff? People either like it because it's funny or you live and die on whether it's funny. Mm. And to take that out of the equation almost completely, the first time I did poetry was really an amazing moment where you just kind of, you walk on and I just had it all in, I, I used to have it in notepads, that was how it was all around my body. But the first time I did it, it was a notepad. Yes. Because... Just gradually, it's become more and more unmanageable. But at the start, everything I'd written was in one notepad. And so I'd just flick through these things. And I'd say things in between, but I wouldn't really have to remember what to say. I didn't really have any sort of prepared lines. Yeah. I just had these poems. When you say you, you, it became more unmanageable, presumably, again, that's you following an instinct of, I should, make, I should do this worse. Do you know what I mean? I well, should get no. this ro- like having several different things, no? No, but I remember that moment was... I did it in um, I did it in 2007 with my first solo show doing poetry and in that one 
right up until that point, I'd had these pads when I'd go and do a show and I'd do, do 10, 15 minutes. It had got, because I think I must have started about 2005. So at that point I had maybe four, no, maybe six notepads around my body uh, and they were just randomly placed. And I'd go on, I'd do my, my um, set and I'd come off and there was genuine jeopardy. I wouldn't know where things were. Okay. I'd take them out. I'd decline some poems. I'd spend time looking for one. I would um, get in an absolute muddle. and But it would all be okay. And I'd also be drinking. And it would all make sense, as you say, like it was this kind of... Um, it was bordering on a character, I think, then. Yes. Much more. I think, for heaven's sake, I think I burped once. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I, I did one gig, it's not really to do with this, but I did one gig where I was drunk, really drunk, and I remember having to play him less drunk than I was because I wanted to, I wanted him to be how, how drunk yes, he Yes, yes, he needs to be tipsy despite <laughs> you being drunk. Oh, God. Terrible. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so I took, that sh- I took a show then to Edinburgh with these six pads, and I did the first night, and it was that, that night that you, you know, the, the sort of... Um, uh, infamous night that everyone has where it just fell apart. I mean, it's terrible. And and I didn't know where anything was. And and the show, when it only gets to an hour, you have to have some kind of... Man- you have to know what you're doing a bit. Mm. And so I realised that I had to just fall on my sword and it couldn't be that I didn't know where anything was. It had to be that I I knew... I had to know what I was doing. Roughly. Mm. I mean, and then I can, like, move away from it. But I had to know what I was doing. And so I went home and I drew my suit and I put a number on each pad. Okay. And I wrote down where they would go. Okay. And then the next night... I see, I I see, okay. Notepad number four, top left. Notepad number five, top right. One and two. Okay. In my trousers. And and went on. And, you know, if you'd seen it one night and seen it the other night you wouldn't have known the difference. You just said, well, the second one, it was better. But it would be because I, knew, I now knew where things were. Okay, okay. And I don't really think I looked back after that in terms of... There's just so many. Like, that's, they're my notepads there. And there's just lo- there's loads now. And when I first did it, there weren't that many. So it was quite a fun... Um, it was quite a fun bit of play that was happening. And I think people knew as well. You know, in the audience, they're like, he hasn't got a clue where things are, <laughs> which is fun. Yeah. It's fun in the Albany and the Hen and Chickens. Yes. And uh, it's less fun in the Pleasance when people have paid for an hour. Yes. Because then you, you, know, you need to be in control of how it develops over an hour. So there's a sort of, there's a kind of a parallel lines of you, it, it needs to be unmanageable. Yeah. And, but manageable at the same time. It needs to be fun, but orchestrated to an extent. Yeah, I think so. Like last night, uh, I had, I was on for like, whatever, 15 minutes. And I had some poems. And it doesn't need to be, it doesn't mm. need to be uh, um, caressed in any way that it's more or less manageable than mm. it is. Mm-hmm. That's about right. It's fine. I, I can get in a mess and get out of a mess. It's all fine. But to go to Edinburgh and do a, an hour, yeah, you know, you, you want. That's why there's now like a structure on my um, pinboard. You know, you, you want you want the show to to work as a show. 
you want it to you want to go through some kind of um, uh, ebb and flow, and you can do that over an hour more if you know where where everything is. Yes, on your body. So that was part one of Tim. Part two coming up next week. I've chatted to you loads on this episode, so I'll keep this very brief. My dear friend and brilliant comedian Tin and Duyeb has got a live DVD recording available online at Tin and Duyeb. This isn't for you. VHX.tv. I'm reliably informed as of Monday it'll be on his website too, which is Tin and Duyeb. .co.uk. Duyeb is D-O-U-I-E-B. And if you can get that right, I'm sure you can guess Tiernan. Tiernanduyeb.co.uk. If you use the code COMCOMPOD, then you get a third off the price. It's only $2.99 anyway, which is about £1.70. Um, so this would make it $1.99, which is less than that. Um, so uh, get yourself a, a ComComPod special discount on Tiernan's uh, video album there. He's a brilliant comedian and an incredibly positive force in comedy. Tiernan's one of those guys who cannot do enough for you uh, and to make the world a better place for comedy. So thanks to Tiernan. Um, and that's your special offer from tiernanduyeb.co.uk. His, uh, his first ever stand-up DVD is called This Isn't For You. And finally, and I'm very sad about this, um, I, uh, I didn't want to open the show with this, but uh, news has just reached me yesterday of the death of Sir Terry Pratchett, who was, I'm not kidding, an all-time hero of mine, and I would like to dedicate this episode to him. I really wish that I'd started this show a few years sooner and could have got him on and could have asked him on when, uh, uh, when he was still well. Um, he was one of, the fu- one of the funniest and wisest uh, people, creative people we were lucky enough to have. Uh, if you've not read any of his books, and it's easy to be put off by the um, by the sort of noodly, wizardy <laughs> kind of appearance of it, but they are actually beautiful and gentle and savage satires of the way the world is. So if sometimes you need to see past the wizards, I, I recognise you're not all into wizards and goblins, but there's so much there to find. I recommend them to anyone. I would start with Good Omens, which he co-wrote with Neil Gaiman, who's another one of my very favourite authors. And uh, if you like it, get cracking on Discworld. So RIP Sir Terry Pratchett. Uh, I am much saddened by your death. And I am really, um, I'm really pleased to see how much love there is for you pouring out all over the world. So thank you for everything, Sir Terry. Thanks very much. I'll speak to you soon. (laughs) 